Welcome to the Ducks on the Pond podcast. Well, we've made it. It's the fifth episode. Um, today we are missing one of the regulars. Justin is out sick today. Uh, he'll be back with us next week. Uh, we do have both Charlie and Phil here today. Uh, Charlie, what's been going on with you lately? Not much. Just getting ready for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, been waiting for some free agency news, but it's getting pretty stale on that front too. So yeah, just waiting for baseball. Slim Pickens, I think Grinky's about all that's left, and some are saying he's going to probably uh, go back to the Royals if that even happens, because that's looking yeah. less likely too. Phil, how about you? What are you up to? Not a thing. Just waiting for pitchers and catchers to report. So soon. It's always like a nice little birthday gift I give to myself every year, is that's when I know when baseball starts. So. All right, we'll jump right into it. Uh, my topic for this week is going to be, and what is your, and uh, what, in your opinion, is the greatest season all time by a player? Uh, let's start off with Charlie on this one and find out who he thinks had the best season ever. So I picked a pitcher and a hitter um, for mine. So I'll start off with uh, Old Haas Radborn. I think had the greatest single season as a pitcher. Um, set an MLB record with 60 wins in a single season. That record is still here today. Um, had a 1.38 ERA while playing 75 games. Um, he started 73 games and had 73 complete games, pitched 678 innings with 441 strikeouts, all while maintaining a .92 whip. Um, I mean – Obviously, it was a different era, but that's still crazy. I mean, p- pitching 75 games, I mean, you you know, you're lucky to get 30 games out of most pitchers nowadays. So, um, I don't know. In my, in my opinion, that was just the single greatest season um, a pitcher has ever pitched. Um, in terms of hitters, um, I put Roger Hornsby, um, his 1922 season, the first ever triple crown. Um, he batted 401 uh, with a 459 on base percentage with 42 home runs and 152 RBIs. Uh, his OPS plus that season was 207 um, for the St. Louis Cardinals that year. So those those are my two picks. Bill, what do you think and uh, what are your two? I mean, or if you just did one. I mean, I, I guess I didn't really clarify um, you can do hitter and pitcher or just pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I just selected, you know, when I was looking, I was looking between, you know, hitters and pitchers, just what was the best season, right? And uh, I went with uh, Ted Williams, 1941 season, um, batted 406. Uh, you know, basically he led the league in almost every hitting statistic imaginable that year. Um, you know, he played in the same division as the Yankees, of course. And um, that was the year that DiMaggio had the uh, hits record, the uh, streak. So, mm-hmm. you know, he missed the triple crown by five RBIs that year, which would have uh, just been an amazing feat. But uh, first of his six batting titles, because he won again in, 40, in 42, 47, 48, 57, and 58. Um you know, finished second in MVP voting that year to Joe DiMaggio, um, and DiMaggio batted 357. So, I mean, you know, just a phenomenal year in in uh, batting, really offensive categories across the board. 
And, um, you know, he did win the all-star game that year with a uh, walk-off home run in the uh, ninth inning. So pretty, pretty amazing year for that guy being his third season in the majors. So, yeah, I mean, we lost some of uh, his prime to war, you know, so we forget about that, which um, that takes three years. Yeah. Three years out of his prime. It's just unbelievable that season. Uh, Charlie and I were talking about that this week at work and, I mean, what a time to be alive for baseball fans to see two of those seasons in the same season, uh, just to be a spectator watching that or hearing it. Because a lot of times I believe the radio was very popular then for games. So just to be able to hear those games, I'm sure people were tuning in every night to hear what was going on. All right, I'm going to go – we'll start off with uh, the pitching route. I'm going to go the pitching route first. So my pitching route – oh, by the way, Phil, were you done or did you have a pitcher? I think he said he just had a hitter. Okay, he had a hitter. Okay, so I'm going the pitching route here. And the pitching route for me, I'm going Pedro Martinez's 2000 season is the best pitching season of all time. Now, I know some are going to say Koufax, some are going to say Gibson based on ERA, strikeouts. Um, I took kind of everything together to put uh, as my favorite. Uh, Pedro Martinez in 2001, 18 games that season, had a 1.73 ERA, and he had 284 strikeouts that season. He led the league in ERA, shutouts, strikeouts, ERA+, plus, FIP, WHIP, hits per nine, home runs per nine, and strikeouts per nine. I mean, that is a lot of categories he led the league in. Um, I know we discussed war and, you know, what war means when you're comparing players, but his 11.7 war is otherworldly for a pitcher and it led the American league. Uh, All those numbers are made all that more impressive by that is right in the heart of the steroid era when he did this. So the next highest ERA that season uh, after Pedro was Roger Clemens had a 3.70. So you're talking about the next, next uh, lowest ERA was almost a full two runs higher that season uh, only five pitchers in the American League that season had a higher ERA than uh, had a sorry lower ERA than four um, that season hitting put on a show uh, there's 47 hitters with 30 or more home runs and 53 qualified batters hit at least 300 that season and let's not forget he did it in the American League with the DH um, of his 29 starts that season he went at least six innings uh, or more I'm sorry at least six innings in 27 of them and struck out 10 in 15 of them. So that season to me is impressive. You know, I, I, I know Bob Gibson had a 1.12 ERA, but I feel like at that point it was a pitcher's game where Pedro was doing this in a hitter's game during the steroid era. So to me, that's more impressive. Uh, I did have the one originally, but let's not forget also, and people are going to disagree with this one. I'm sure we'll have people comment, but I think Barry Bonds is season and, uh, I believe it was, what year was it? 2001 is one of the best seasons of all time. 328 batting average, 73 home runs, 137 RBIs, 122 runs, 515 on base percentage, which I can't even fathom that. 411 total bases, a 12.5 war, 177 walks. How about this one? An OPS plus of 259. He was twice as good as the average player that year and more. So I'm sure we'll have arguments about steroids and peds but that's still you got to hit the ball you still got to have hand hand eye coordination i mean i get it the home runs take that out but look at the walks and the on base percentage i mean that's that's like somebody uh playing mlb the show and turning it down to easy or super easy or beginner i mean that's a cheat code to me so 
Um, any any side thoughts on these? I mean, do we have any disagreements? Uh, do we think that one of those seasons any counter uh, counter argument to any of our choices? No, no counter arguments. I, I think you know probably everybody would have all of these players in their seasons on a list, right? I, I think it's just the preference of our individual. What do we think is the is the best? Because, you know, I definitely looked at, uh, you know, everybody's seasons that we talked about on here today. So, yep. Even old Haas Radborn. Nobody's going to beat that record ever. You're never going to get anybody close to 60 wins. So, first of all, starting pitchers are never going to hit that for the simple fact that nobody pitches more than 35 games. And relievers definitely aren't going to get you 60 wins. There's no way. Even the best relievers aren't going to eclipse anything more than probably double digits at most. So that record, it'll never be broke. You can put it up there with some of those other ones that, like Ripkins, that are never going to get broke ever. So, all right, we're going to go to our next topic, and that was, uh, I believe that was Charlie's. Yeah, so I just had um, kind of predictions, thoughts, uh, maybe maybe brackets for the World Baseball Classic um, to see what, you know, maybe some takes that you guys had for it. And then if we want, I know I made a bracket. Um, I don't know if we wanted to maybe, you know, keep those secret for now, or if we want to talk about our brackets. I don't know if I got time to fill out a bracket. I know who my, I did pick out my dark horse and, you know, some surprising teams and some breakout players that I have on there that I'm really excited to see. But maybe like uh, we hold off a little bit on there because I would like to I kind of, you know, I'm kind of in the middle here. I do want to talk about it, but I do think we wait on matchups and go over the rounds as they come along. We can talk about who's going to win or who we're going to win. That's not a big deal, but let's leave predictions uh, for future weeks, if you don't mind. Definitely do that. Who do you want to start with on that one, Charlie, or do you want to start yourself? Um, just, I had a couple dark horse teams that I think will be fun to watch. Um, I think the Netherlands will be a really fun team to watch. I think, you know, they always seem to put together a really fun squad that, that goes deep into the tournament. So, you know, kind of look out for them. Um, and then they're, they're in a, I wouldn't say easy bracket, but in, in terms of brackets, I'd say, or in terms of their pools, I'd say it's one of the easier pools. So they, they should be able to get into the, um, you know, the, the elimination games and you know maybe maybe make a push towards uh towards the finals and then um uh a couple other teams i think the the venezuelan team should be a lot of fun um there's a couple obviously pro players on there they've got miguel cabrera who's you know about to do his farewell tour for the mlb and then they've got altuve at second base and i think that that should be a really fun team to watch um and then the the Mexico team should also be a lot of fun to watch. Um, although I will say that they are in, you know, in my opinion, probably the toughest pool. Um, having the USA, Canada, Mexico, Colombia all in the same pool should be a should be a fun pool to watch. Agreed. Any uh, flat out predictions for who's going to win? Um, I think the the easy obvious answer is Dominican Republic because they have not only probably the best lineup but probably also the best rotation in the in the entire thing. Um, but I think maybe a couple dark horses. I mean, I don't even know if you can call the USA a dark horse because at this point they're kind of the second favorites behind Dominican. But I think I think uh, Japan and Cuba could also be some teams to look out for to to win the whole thing. 
Phil, you want to take this one second? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's easy to uh, sit there and say that the Dominican is the team to beat. You know, they, they do really have a stacked team right now. Um, I look at it as, you know, U.S., I think it's a great team, um, but I'm kind of concerned with their pitching. You know, you've got a couple older veterans that are in the rotation, you know, so you, you've got, you know, Wayne Wright and Kershaw, which if we were talking about those two pitchers in their prime, you know, they could definitely lead Team USA. Um, I think they're a little bit in the hole there in that one compared to some of the other teams out there. But they do have, you know, the top tier star players that could carry them for a series or, you know, through an elimination game that maybe some of the other teams couldn't. Um I'm I'm pretty high on Japan. I just think Japan always has a great team. They have uh, you know solid pitching, solid defense, speed, team chemistry, um, and uh, you know Puerto Rico is is kind of similar in many regards. So I'm sure uh, they will perform very very well. I'm interested in Cuba. I, I think having the uh, you know the MLB players now on the Cuban team is going to be an interesting thing. So they could definitely be you know, a dark horse that makes it a little bit farther maybe than they're predicted to just simply because they're getting some of that major league talent from around the world to join their, you know, homegrown players. So, I mean, you know what, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. We might even have to have like a watch party, maybe even do like a podcast, go out and try to catch some of the games. And so we can get some input or even just do a video where we're not even doing like the podcast. We're just, talking you know about the game as it's happening would be kind of like a fun idea Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that my dark horse pick if i'm gonna go besides the two favorites is japan uh for starters your one-two punch is pretty solid i know some people are gonna say obviously it's not as good as the dominican republic but let's not forget that uh you darvish and otani are fully capable of handling some of these lineups and let's not also forget that and i apologize in advance because i'm terrible with pronunciations Roki Sazaki, uh, who some believe uh, he's one of the other, I believe, starting pitchers in there. Otani, they believe that when Otani did the interview and he said he's not the best player uh, on that team, um, they believe he was referencing uh, Roki. They also have a pretty good outfield with Lars Nootbar, Mazataka, uh, Yoshida, and Seiya Suzuki. So, I mean, like I said, they got a pretty solid team. Now, they're infield. A lot of people might not have heard of some of their players, but I think with that solid one-two punch um, and the outfield looks pretty solid, I think they could be a dark horse to really compete and maybe surprise some people. But obviously the two favorites, as you guys stated, are the Dominican Republic and the United States is a close second. I mean, the amount of talents on these teams are off the charts. I mean, you have pretty much all-star teams that, you know, that they're putting out. I mean, there's talent at every position. So my other team, like Phil said, he kind of took my thunder is the team to watch out for is Puerto Rico. Um, their team includes uh, uh, Diaz, Stroman. Uh, you have a plethora of uh, talented shortstops, including Baez, uh, Correa, Lindor in the infield. So my guess, if you're, I, I don't know how it's set up. I don't know if I've seen anything, but Lindor short, Correa third and Baez second would be my choice. Um, Players who I'm looking for to have a big impact on the WBC, uh, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Roki, uh, as I stated, and my homer pick is Luis Robert. 
Um, I'm interested to see how he does for the WBC. And then, of course, all eyes are going to be on Shohei Otani with every at-bat. So we all know that that's what's uh, that's what everyone's going to be itching to see. But it'll be great to just get some baseball. It's always this is that time of year where I'm just twiddling my thumbs, just patiently waiting, wishing that I had constant year-round baseball to watch. And right now, unfortunately, that's just not happening. So, um, yeah. Cuban leagues every once in a while get exciting. Yeah, Ven- I mean, they got Venezuelan games going on right now. And one one thing I was going to ask you guys on like a sidebar is, what do you think about uh, Acuna's, uh, Acuna's uh, home run celebration? What were we thinking about that? Was it too much? I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, you know, I, to me, it's, you know, as a, somebody who plays baseball and has played baseball, like a walk-off, in general, is the best feeling. Walk-off home run especially is the best feeling. I think we talked about that before on maybe one of the episodes. But, I mean, it just – it's – I don't know. It's a a fun feeling. And so, like, I don't know. Let them celebrate. Um, And if the other – you know, if the other team – you know, if they they don't like that, then maybe don't give up a home run. It's always been my feeling. Bill, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean it's it's a game, right? So you know it's and it's a spectator sport. People want to see that sort of reaction. So only the the fans of the losing team don't like it. So yeah, I mean they were saying that it was uh, I believe nineteen to twenty seconds it took him to round the bases. He did celebrate around every base, but let's not forget a lot of historical people like to say, oh well, the celebrations. Let's not forget that I can't remember his name. I want to say it was Joe Nuxall. He rounded, he had his 100th home run. He rounded the bases backwards. Like he ran backwards. Like he went to first backwards, second backwards, third, and home. So, I mean, in last year in the playoffs, I didn't hear anybody complaining when, uh, uh, who was it from Philly hit the home run, uh, I believe, against Strider. And he took like 30 seconds to get around the bases. Is that Hoskins? I think it was Reese Hoskins, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it took him about, I want to say, 30 seconds. That's actually the longest it took to get around the bases last year. Um, So, I I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it took place in Venezuela. You know, it's a different game down there, too. So, I mean, yeah, I'm all for excitement. If you don't like it, don't give up a home run. I I kind of, I'm along the same lines in that mindset. Um, Totally agree. Uh, last topic is Phil's topic. Do you want to tell us what your topic is, Phil? Uh, yeah, I wanted to, uh, talk about just the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, we had the results come out this week and I figure there's, uh, some good conversations to be had, kind of look for a little bit of, of reaction from everybody. But, um, you know, what I, what I wanted to speak to was, you know, the two inductees for 2023, we had a Scott Rowland voted in. He had 76.3% of the votes. So he was the only only one to get inducted through the writers. And then you had Fred McGriff, who entered the Contemporary Era Committee earlier in the year last year. So um, Rowland's first year on the ballot was 2018. He started with 10.2% that year. Um, it was a crowded ballot. You know, a lot of uh, future Hall of Fame players on there. And uh, it seems like those players falling off kind of let him pick up some some movement and eventually get in himself. Um, you know, he did benefit from a bit of a shift in Hall of Fame voting by that 
for rewarding, you know, stellar defense over metrics that don't necessarily reflect the player's entire skill set. He did win eight gold gloves during his 17-year career, and he won them with the Phillies, the Cardinals, and the Reds. Um, just the 18th third baseman in the Hall of Fame, himself and Chipper Jones, they're the only full-time third baseman who began their careers after 1982 to be voted in. So third base, you know, definitely, um, you know, has some room for growth in the Hall of Fame. He had a 70.1 war for third baseman, which ranks 10th all time amongst third basemen. You know, he was 1997's National League Rookie of the Year. He received MVP votes in four seasons. That was in 98, 01, 04, and 2010. So he did it in three different decades. It's pretty amazing to think about. Went to seven All-Star games. He did win a World Series with St. Louis in 2004, in which he batted 421, had three doubles, a home run, two RBI, five runs on eight hits versus Detroit. So, you know, that was definitely his uh, best postseason series. And then when you get to Fred McGriff, um, you know, received 16 votes from the 16-person committee, was the only player of eight to make the cut of 12 votes. And some of those players that were on were Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Mattingly, Dale Murphy, Albert Bell, and Rafael Palmero. Um, you know, and again, the Contemporary Air Committee is made up of Hall of Fame players, MLB executives, and veteran media and historians. So those were the people that voted McGriff in. I think that, uh, you know, kind of could lead to a little bit of discussion there as well. They'll convene next in 2025 to consider 2026 um, players for induction. So that'll be interesting to see next time. Uh, McGriff spent 10 years on the Hall of Fame ballot from 2010 to 2019, and he topped out at 39.8% in his last year of 2019. Um, in 19 seasons, he played for the Blue Jays, Padres, Braves, Devil Rays, Cubs, and Dodgers. So he was in a lot of a lot of big markets there. He was a 284 hitter. He finished with 2,490 hits, 493 home runs, 1,550 RBIs, and then 1,305 walks. Only 12 players had achieved this combination by the time of his retirement, and only Bonds and Palmero are not in the Hall of Fame. So you can kind of see, you know, the, the type of player that Fred McGriff was. A five-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger, um, won the 1994 All-Star Game MVP, hit a time, tying two-run home run in the ninth inning off of Lee Smith to end up uh, winning that, in which the National League did win in the 10th inning. Um, won the World Series in 95 with the Braves, batted 303, 10 home runs and 37 RBIs in 10 postseason series. He joins, you know, Chipper Jones, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Bobby Cox, and John Scherholtz from that team uh, in the Hall of Fame. And then the one thing, you know, that really kind of stinks about McGriff's career is he did lose 60 games during his peak, during his prime time of playing with the 94 strike. So surely he would hit, you know, his 500 home runs if that would have been the case. And then, you know, last thing kind of wanted to talk a little bit and see if anybody had any thoughts on this, but, you know, Todd Helton finished with 72.2% of the vote. So he just missed the threshold, 11 votes short. Um, otherwise, he would have gone in the Hall of Fame this year as well. Uh, Billy Wagner finished with 68.1%. Um, Andrew Jones finished with 58.1%. Sheffield was 55%. Carlos Beltrans, 46.5% in his first year. And then Jeff Kent had 
5% in his final year. Uh, you had A-Rod with 35.7 and uh, Manny Ramirez at 33.2%. So, you know, just to maybe talk a little bit about some of those players, if we think they're going to make it or if not. And then another thing to consider here, possible candidates for 2024, um, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, David Wright, Matt Holliday, Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Bautista, Jose Reyes, Victor Martinez, and Bartolo Colon. So, um, you know, again, with the results we saw this year and, and then with the players coming on next year, I'd just like to get everyone's thoughts and see kind of what does the 2024 Hall of Fame look like. I've got a quick question while we close up yours. Um, do we believe that Fred McGriff was aided by Tom Amansky? Do you think that helped him with his Hall of Fame career? I don't think so. Because if you were a kid and you didn't see the Tom Amansky baseball video late at night with Fred McGriff throwing balls into a bucket, then you're missing out and you really need to watch YouTube. I I think the one thing that, you know, you you don't probably realize it unless you were there watching it was just consistency. I mean, you know, he hit 30 home runs and 100 RBIs this season. And when he started, that was a time when 30 home runs was, you know, considered a lot of home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I can remember you know, in my younger days just thinking that for sure he was the the person that would challenge, you know, for the all-time hall, you know, home run record just because he did it year after year after year after year after year. So I think a those lot videos of videos helped. Yeah, they definitely I don't think they got him to the Hall of Fame. He gets overshadowed a lot because he said he was consistent, but he wasn't putting up the numbers that the steroid guys were. So he yeah. kind of flew under the radar while they were hitting 50, 60 and eventually 70 homers, he was still only hitting 30 quietly. So um, I'll take this one second if Charlie doesn't mind. Um, I'm going to get straight to the point. The voting process for the Hall of Fame needs to go. Um, There's no consistency, first of all. You have guys who have ties to PEDs, guys who have tested positive for banned substances in the Hall of Fame, yet you're refusing to let players with the most Cy Young awards, the player with the most home runs in the Hall of Fame. So there's really no what they're trying to say for certain people. They're letting certain people in and other people. They're holding to different standards. Um, As far as it comes uh, down to it, I believe, in my opinion, Todd Helton and Andrew Jones should have both been elected to the Hall of Fame. Helton had more runs, hits, doubles, home runs, walks, a better batting average on base percentage and more total bases and a better OPS plus than Scott Rowland. Uh, he had three gold gold gloves at a position that isn't highly regarded for his defense. And then when it comes to Andrew Jones, he had more home runs, RBI stolen bases and total bases than Roland. Um, and as good as Scott Roland was with the, with his glove, uh, he didn't have as many gold gloves as Andrew Jones. And for all the people who say that gold gloves are a popularity contest, you're right. But if anybody who saw Andrew Jones play knows he's one of the greatest defensive center fielders of all time. So both those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, one of the things I believe that's holding Helton back is what I refer to as the Coors effect. Um, Todd Helton has a be- he has obvious better numbers at home. Um, this includes almost a forty percent swing in batting average. But uh, I'm going to give credit to White Rose Baseball on TikTok for uh, sharing this information. Let's not forget it's really hard to play on the road when you play 81 games at Coors Field. Some players get sick from the changing altitude after adjusting to Colorado air and then trying to be an athlete in a different environment. 
And let's also not forget that breaking pitches also look so much sharper when you're used to playing in Colorado air. So let's not, let's not forget those type of things either. And there has been people in Colorado who haven't put up the numbers that he put up either. So that's another argument. And lastly, for Billy Wagner, he's one of the greatest left-handed closers of all time, if not the best. He should be in comparing him to Trevor Hoffman, another Hall of Famer who pitched around the same time. What if I told you Billy Wagner had a better ERA by half a run, more strikeouts even though he played two last seasons, a better ERA plus by 46 points, a better whip, less hits per nine, and more strikeouts per nine. Uh, Trevor Hoffman has a better war, but only by .3, and he played two more full seasons than Wagner. Uh, the only thing I believe that hurts him is he doesn't hit that uh, threshold of a 1,000 innings for relievers, uh, which he missed by 97 innings. One word, ridiculous. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, next year, I believe, when we kind of talk about the two, I have two people who I believe are going to make it next year, and that's going to be uh, Adrian Beltre and Todd Hella. I'm done. Go ahead, Charlie. <laughs> Yeah, I'll agree. I, I do think that like the Hall of Fame, it, it just to, to me always seems really weird that we look at like a guy like Todd Helton, like you're saying, and like, like after this year, we're like, oh, well, he'll be in next year. But it's like, well, his stats haven't changed. So why isn't he in this year? You know, to, to me, it's always like, the, and it's been like that forever. So it seems kind of normal. But to me, it still just makes no sense how you can like even like we look at some of the new guys coming in like Beltron, we're like, oh well, he got forty six percent his first year, so he'll probably get in in like, you know, four or five years. Well, it's like, well, his stats aren't changing, so why is he not in now? But you think he's going to get in later, even though nothing's changed. Um, so to me, that's always been really weird. Um, I did a little bit more on a couple of the players um, for that are coming in uh, for the twenty twenty four season or uh, uh, class. Um, I also agree that I believe Adrian Beltran will get in there. He got the 3,000 hits club with almost 500 home runs. I mean, to me, those are really great stats. Um, what really helped him is he played for a full 21 years, and that that definitely helped him out. Um, Joe Maurer, I don't think will get in his first year, but what he does have going for him is he has a, a lot of um, awards and accolades. He was obviously won an MVP award, six-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, five-time Silver Slugger, um, and three-time batting champion. So those are some, you know, big accolades um, that will help him uh, hopefully get in eventually, but I agree. I don't think he's going to get in the first year. And then a, a player who um, I was kind of – kind of surprised me about his stats was Bartolo Colon and how in my opinion I don't I don't think he he will get in and I don't think he deserves to get into the Hall of Fame um he his ERA his career ERA is 4.12 um and his whip is 1.3 I mean those are pretty average numbers when you look at it. And, but really the only like big numbers he has for him is he has a bunch of wins and a bunch of strikeouts. But again, he played a full 21 years. When you play 21 years, you're going to have inflated stats like that. So I, in my opinion, Bartolo Colon shouldn't get into the Hall of Fame and I don't think he will. Yeah, I don't think so either. And is, does anybody else want Adrian Beltran um, to have Elvis Andrews's hand on top of his head or is that just me? <laughs> That, that just I want yeah, that that would look good you just so much fun for the game but go ahead Phil I saw you were going to say something you had a thought yeah no no well I, I think I was going to just say you know uh, if if I were to 
to predict who's going to make it in. I'm with you guys. I think Adrian Beltre does make it in as a first year. Um, I think Helton, you know, makes it in just because there's not a lot of other, you know, really in his peer group. And then Billy Wagner possibly could if you had three people go in. If not, I think it's probably Helton and, and Beltre. But you got to remember, Andrew Jones wasn't even the best Jones on his own team, right? And um, Billy Wagner, while he was a great closer, you know, I still think that, uh, you know, his struggles to get injured because he wasn't a lockdown closer. Um, you know, you got K-Rod, who's going to be on his second year, um, you know, on the ballot. So it'll be interesting to see. But uh, was anybody else surprised by Carlos Beltran's results? I, I was a little bit. I wasn't because me and Charlie had this conversation and what really hurts him is his tie to the 2017 stuff. Um, uh, Charlie, you want to elaborate more on that? Cause you're, you're, you're an Astros fan. So you know more about. What we've talked about. <laughs> well, the kind of the rumor was that he had taken um, assist uh, uh, the system from another team. And he was, he was the one that tried to implement it for the Astros. And he was the one kind of behind the whole, the whole, uh, the whole camera and center field and then and the relay system. And so he was kind of the whatever mastermind behind that was, was the rumor. And I think, I think he was actually about to get a job as the Mets uh, head coach. And then after the, the 2017 story broke, they didn't want anything to do with him. Um, so yeah, that I mean that was pretty much the whole story was that, and the, the rumor is maybe from the, from the Yankees as he stole their or took, you know, kind of their their uh, camera system in center field and then implemented it for the Astros. Yeah, so I believe that's what hurt him, Phil, personally. I think because his, to me, I I would think he would get 60. You know what I mean? Without yeah. without the issues, I would believe he would be maybe second or third ballot, in my opinion, but I well, think he has, he has the numbers to back up to, to be a little bit higher than he was, but I think you're right, the 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 uh, the scandal breaking kind of maybe dropped him about fifteen to twenty points, but I think I think eventually I think I think he'll be his fourth or fifth year he'll get in. All I can say is I'm very grateful he went. I to- was just surprised he got forty six point five. So oh, I, I thought that it would impact more than that. Thank God he went to the Mets in two thousand five. Are we you know with him on that Astros team? If he was still with the Astros, it might have made a difference because either of those, all those games in that World Series in two thousand five, two thousand and five, could have went either way. I mean, White Sox won them all, but Astros were in every single game that series. It was a really, really competitive sweep. Yeah. All right, I do have a side note uh, for you guys. I'm going to give credit to another uh, another TikTok account for he had a live video that. Uh, he was talking about MLB awards and what he thinks of them. So I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Uh, this is credit to Daily Dose of Baseball on TikTok, uh, who brought this up in his live. Do you guys value MLB awards when considering how good a player is? For me, I think that all-star games, silver sluggers, and gold glovers are popularity contests. And just like war, you cannot use them solely to great to gauge a player's greatness. But um you can use it combined with other things. Do you think that there's a better way to vote for these things? Any idea on how to change the process? How yeah, I mean, I, I think that some of the awards, especially when you look at like Silver Slugger, Golden Glove, I think those need to be a little bit more like statistic based. 
Um, cause you looked like, well, I think it was this year, Juan Soto was a finalist for gold glove, but like statistically one of the worst fielders in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in my opinion, they do need to kind of start rooting it a little bit more in the actual analytics and the actual data, um, versus, I guess, like, it seems like now it's a more of an eye test and like you said, more of a popularity thing. Like, who do they, who do they like? Um, and you know, even at a certain point, it's like, all right, who does who played really well this year but didn't get an award? Let's see if we can get them an award, um, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I I do agree. Um, so, although I will say some of the awards, like the MVP award, I, I do look a little bit like you know, if if somebody has an MVP, that does to me show that they at least had one elite season of baseball, um, and probably you know. Therefore, probably a couple other years of pretty, some pretty good, pretty good baseball. And, and same with the Cy Young. Um, you know, generally, you know, if you're good enough to get a Cy Young, that means you put together at least a couple good seasons of pitching. Thoughts, Phil? Yeah. I mean, most of the awards that you're speaking to, I would, I would look at as patters, right? They, they pad a, a great career. Um, there are a lot of popularity you know, players that, that make, get these awards. Um, it, it's just that I, I, they need to change it to make it so that it's done by the players. If the players determine who are the, the best at their positions, um, you know, who are the best hitters, these things, you know, if they have a voice in it, I think it's better than, than just kind of selecting somebody, you know, to your point of who, you know, who didn't get an award this year, let's give them something to make them, you know, look good. So, um, you know, they're nice to look at, but they're the numbers speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think everybody knows if you talk about a certain player and say they had X amount of golden gloves, it's probably a player that, you know, was a great defensive player, um, regardless of if they had won those gold gloves or not. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my take on it. So, again, credit to Daily Dose of Baseball for this uh, for this stat. But I'm going to give you a stat line in 2000, right? When I get your point about MVP being elite in something, but I'm going to give you a season uh, on there, and I'm I want you to tell me where this guy placed, and then I'll tell you who he is. Okay, so this this guy had um, an 8.9 WAR. He had 216 hits. He had 147 RBIs and 42 home runs. He walked 103 times. Had a 372 batting average, a 463 on base percentage a 698 slugging percentage, and a 1.162 OPS plus. Um, Where do you think this guy finished that season? If you had to guess. I'm talking about MVP. And MVP? I mean, just by those stats. Number two. Top top three, but. What if I told you Fanta's fifth that season in MVP Mm -hmm. voting? The winner that, that year in MVP voting was Jeff Kent. He had 33 home runs, 125 RBIs. He batted 334 with a 424, 596 slugging percentage, and OPS of 1.021. All those were better for this this guy. This is Todd Helton's 2000 season. Uh, he, I think either should have. I think he should have won. I think it was a travesty he didn't win. But that's why. What I, did the Giants? What did the Giants do that year? Uh, Giants in 2000, I'd have to look. I don't know off the top of my head. I'll bet you the Giants were more competitive than the uh, Rockies. 
let's see here, 2000. First field effect. And you got to think the top two players both came from the same team in MVP voting. So if you know Jeff Kent is one, you know who the other yeah. The other is Barry Bonds. Yep. Bonds is the other. Uh, let's see. So the San Francisco Giants won their division at 97 and 65. They finished 11 games ahead of the Dodgers. The Rockies were 82 and 80 that year. But my argument to that is Andre Dawson has an MVP award and finished on a dead last place with the Chicago Cubs would do the argument in the other direction. He has an MVP award for a last place team. Yeah, but that was that was when nobody hit 49 home runs. And he <laughs> and he walked up to the Cubs with a blank check and said, I want to play for the Cubs. Just fill this in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just don't Mike, make me run. My Mike, Trout, hand. Mike Trout has also won a few MVPs while playing on a pretty bad Los Angeles team. It's it's just a good argument both ways. That's again why I love baseball because there's no wrong answer. There's and, just and you could you could find the same thing with Cy Young too. Like there's so many times great players should have won Cy Young awards and finished like third, fourth, or fifth over the person who wins it. You just scratch your head, you know. So hopefully next week we'll be going live when we have our our group again. Uh, Justin had a pretty pretty decent topic uh, that we're going to hold off until uh, next week for. But I'm kind of excited for we'll 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 hear about that next week and we'll go we'll be going live finally hopefully unless Justin gets sick again which we hope doesn't happen. So any last thoughts from you two? I know I gave my thought just before we close it up. I didn't say hopefully he was going to get sick either. I said hopefully he's not sick. Just to clarify, not hoping anybody gets sick. Anything on your guys' end? Any last thoughts? Questions you have out there? Guys are always so quiet by the end. I feel like I talk my way. No, I'm, I don't have anything. Bill? Hey, Rick, I got something for you. And, Charlie, you can feel free to jump in if, if Rick can't figure it out. But, you know, we were talking about Fred McGriff in the 1984 All-Star game. Can you tell me the player for the National League who, who scored the winning run in the 10th inning of that game? Just Just to put a little context to it. He uh, this player slapped a single over the pitcher to get on base before he scored. Is it not Barry Larkin? Is it? No, it's either Tony Gwynn or Barry Larkin. I can't tell if I've got the answer right or if he's frozen in shock. Charlie, did you have a guess? Uh oh, it's for the National League. What year was it? Ninety-four. 84. Not 84. He said 84. Well, your your guess is incorrect. One of the players is correct. What are you talking about? Uh, one of the players who scored? 94. That's what I said, 94. I said 94. Yeah, I have no clue. I don't think it was Moises Alou. My only guess would be like Hank Aaron or something like that. Hank Aaron in 1984, he'd be like 80. Oh, well, not Hank Aaron. Who am I thinking of? I have no idea who I'm thinking of. But it wasn't <laughs> it's Hank been Aaron. a long. So let me think here real quick. So I'm trying to think who was who would be on that All Star team. So we all know Tony Gwynn was on the All Star team, I believe, in right field. Uh, Bonds was probably on that team and left. Um, I, ooh, Phil dropped off. Maybe we'll never know the answer to that question. We'll, we'll see if we can uh, hold off until he gets back. But um, 
Charlie, if you can look that up real quick to look up the roster, I'm pretty sure Bonds was in left. I mean, I don't know if he was finishing out that game. I know that Gwynn was in right. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who the catcher was on that team. I do know Larkin or Ozzie Smith would have been the shortstop. Um, I was, third, that, that's probably what I was thinking. I think I was thinking of Ozzie Smith. And then you got uh, – you probably had Sandberg at second during that time. No. No. Do we know who who, who it is? Who is it? Because I can't tell. Phil's still frozen. No, he's not. He's back. Who was yeah, it? Yeah, you had the uh... – the right idea. Who is it? It's Tony Gwynn. That's what he said. said Tony yeah, Gwynn. he said Tony Gwynn. Was, he said two players. Yep, Tony Gwynn. And uh, at the beginning, I said it's Tony easy. Gwynn. Good stuff. Good stuff with the, with the uh, not 84, 94. I was going to say, that'd be really impressive if uh, Hank Aaron, that'd be such a great career. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you, Charlie. Um, yeah, I think that's good stuff. Um, I'm really excited for this upcoming year as we inch closer and can't wait to see, uh, the world baseball classic has in store and it'll be exciting to get some baseball and some spring training going and get build up that excitement. Even though, uh, the White Sox news just keeps getting worse and worse. I still think we, uh, we still have a chance. So, All right, everybody, we'll see you next week uh, for our first live version of the podcast. Come come ready with your questions on there. We'll cross our fingers. Everyone's there. Um, Come with some questions that we can answer. um, And we'll have, as always, our topics uh, for that week. Everyone have a good rest of the week. And thanks for joining.